It is always an honor to introduce an eminent speaker. It becomes particularly pleasant when all that you know about him is good. Elder Boyd K. Packer, assistant to the Twelve Apostles, has been one of us for many years. And he's had a rather rich and varied experience. During World War II, he was a pilot in the Air Force in the Pacific area of the war. And I'm sure could tell many interesting experiences in that field. He has had rather unusual experience in civic government, being for a number of years a member of a city councilman, as a city councilman in one of our Utah cities. One of the youngest city councilmen, I think, in the history of this state at that time. He has spent most of his adult life in the field of church education and served for a number of years as assistant administrator of seminaries and institutes of religion throughout the church. And in that capacity, I became well acquainted with him. As you may be aware, he is the man who first initiated our educational program among the Lamanite Brethren, a seminary program that has grown in some four short years to some 4,000 Indian students in this program. And Brother Packer still gives guidance in his present position to us in that program. He is an alumnus of this university and is one of the three first men to receive a doctorate degree from this institution, a mark that I think will have historical significance as time goes on. Elder Packer is a man that I have admired because of three unique qualities. One is the, his ingenuity, his power of initiating new things, which has been outstanding in his life. He's a self-starter. And his second has been his tremendous ability, especially in organization. And third has been his unusual faith in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it is little wonder that these qualities have shaped him for service in the church as an assistant to the Quorum of the Twelve and as assistant general secretary of the missionary program of the church in which he now spends his full time helping to direct missions and mission presidents in regard to their many, the many details of their operation in some 66 missions throughout the world. It is a pleasure to hear this morning from Elder Boyd K. Packer. It becomes my pleasurable duty this morning to act as a courier for President David O. McKay, who is anxious that his blessings be extended to you, brethren and sisters, at Christmas time that uh, you have some personal 
sensitivity to the fact that his interests are with you and particularly at uh, this season, this week, a special concern for you. A school is dismissed for a few days and you're traveling to your homes, many of you at great distances. President McKay was concerned that a caution be extended to you, that you would observe all of the, the, the rules of caution and be sensible in your traveling. And it is a pleasure to extend to you the blessings and Christmas greetings of the prophet of the Lord. My assignment this morning was to speak to you on keeping Christmas. Now there is a special spirit, an actual spirit that envelops the earth at this time, that although it, uh, however much it may not differ from the spirit that's available at any time of the year, at this time of the year it seems to be prevalent and present in an intensity not known at other times of the year. And it becomes so forceful as to have real effect, tangible, noticeable effect on people who otherwise seem to avoid or at least disregard the Spirit of the Lord. Charles Dickens, in uh, closing his immortal A Christmas Carol, made this statement, this sentence about Ebenezer Scrooge. He concluded that marvelous story with these words, and it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas if any man living possessed that knowledge. Recently, an acquaintance of mine commented on the Christmas season and said, uh, there's nothing left to Christmas once the children are gone. There's nothing left to Christmas once the children are gone. Now this, this was no Scrooge speaking. There, there was no spirit of Christmas humbug in his, in his voice. This was a grandfather who was voicing the disappointment at the magic of Christmas as it used to be having been taken from him somehow. His grandchildren live at such a distance that they're not able to spend Christmas with them. And whether this magic was lost or had been stolen or just worn out, I think he didn't know. But he voiced for everyone who is adult, I think, a feeling about Christmas and how it's changed since we were young. I think he might have added, there's little left to Christmas, once childhood is gone. You students represent that portion of society who most recently lost your childhood. We refer to you as our youth. And I've wondered with some concern if I would be wrong in supposing that Christmas means the least to you of anybody. Not only is that magic gone that you knew as a little boy and a little girl at Christmas time, it may be that the skepticism that hangs on from your having found out about Christmas, it, uh, <laughs> it may be that that has ripened just a little. 
Now that's a beautiful, fanciful story, isn't it? The one that begins at the North Pole and centers around the well-fed little gentleman with the red suit and the white whiskers. It includes elves in a special workshop, year-long preparation, listing of names, and you remember when it included the accounting of deeds, both good and bad? And it relates to chimneys and stockings and presents and a sleigh drawn of all things by eight reindeer uh, who miraculously enough can fly. Well, it's, it's no wonder that we're reluctant to give up such a beautiful fancy. Elizabeth Akers Allen, in her poem, Rock Me to Sleep, expressed a sentiment that I suppose every adult, if they were to admit it, has felt at one time or another in these words, Backward, turn backward, O time in thy flight. Make me a child again, just for tonight. Can you remember when you knew just a little bit less about Christmas than you do now? Do you remember when you still believed? If there's a feeling of disappointment in you at Christmas time, and if you suffer a longing for times as they were, it means you never really discovered Christmas at all. Only the child's manifestation of it. And once you've lost your childhood, you somehow have lost that manifestation of it. The Apostle Paul said, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I thought as a child, I understood as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. There is an answer to Rock Me to Sleep, written, I think, by Elizabeth Allen herself. And in answer, she says, Backwards, nay, onward, ye swift-rolling years, gird on thy armor. Hold back thy tears. Count not thy trials nor thy efforts in vain. They'll bring thee the light of thy childhood again. I made a little test a few years ago with upwards of a thousand teenagers just younger than you. In the early fall, and it had to be very early to precede the Christmas advertisements and displays and announcements in the stores almost had to be in the summer. I, <clears throat> I asked them to react with the first thing that came into their mind after I gave them a word. The word was Christmas, and you may well guess the response, although maybe not the extent of it. Ninety-four percent of them, of nearly a thousand teenagers, responded with Words such as present, snow, reindeer, lights, tree, Santa Claus. Ninety-four percent of them. Two percent responded with irrelevancies. One boy, for instance, responded with, <clears throat> with broken leg. That, uh, <clears throat> that had been his experience the, for Christmas the year before. And I've always been amazed that no one responded with broken wallet, because that... <laughs> That somehow is everybody's experience of the year before. But there were only 4%, just 4%, who responded with words such as Bethlehem, or Christmas Carol, or wise men, or shepherds, or Christ, 
or any word that might even remotely be connected with the real story of Christmas. The commercialization of Christmas is so obvious and so extreme as to hardly uh, be necessary to, to mention. They have trespassed upon this holy day. We call it a holiday, but it's a holy day. And they have trespassed upon it as did the money changers in the temple. I shudder when I see the sign that says Merry Xmas. Merry Xmas. It's symbolic, I suppose, of all that has been done in an effort to cross Christ out of Christmas. Now, your age, college students, is almost a painful age at Christmas time. Because you are the age you are, in betweens, children no longer, but yet somehow, without a Christmas to keep, the holiday season, I think, brings a, a yearning that's akin to loneliness. Of all of the times of the year, Christmas somehow wants a spirit of togetherness. The holiday spirit brings to you a certain longing for something unfulfilled in your lives. Because you're old enough, there's something within you, persistent, compelling, making you restless at being alone at Christmas time. And however wonderful your parents are, and however close and glorious your family circle is, there's something, particularly at Christmas time, that's yet incomplete. I suppose there's more than one young couple in this audience today that started keeping company just as school opened. And now, tomorrow or the next day or the day after, there'll be a parting, the boy going perhaps to his home in California, the girl maybe to New Jersey, to a glorious family Christmas that somehow won't seem like Christmas at all because of something, or should we say someone, that's missing. I have a feeling that you, as most others, resist yielding some of the so-called childish things about Christmas because you recognize in them virtue, and you try to seek some obedience to the admonition of the Lord, except ye become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. I hope you don't resent the suggestion that you are at an awkward age insofar as Christmas is concerned. I explored this a little among some of those of your own age just to test the thought, to see whether it uh, had any accuracy. I found not only agreement, but anxiety for some direction. And so a suggestion or two. First, you can't find it, this magic about Christmas, you can't find it by going back. Uh, Victor Herbert penned into the lyrics of one of the songs from his Babes in Toyland these words Toyland, Toyland, little girl and boyland, while we dwelled within it, we were ever happy then. Childhood joyland, mystic, merry Toyland. Once you've passed its portals, you may ne'er return again. And so there's no, no looking back. The direction isn't easy to find because we lose uh, our childhood with reference to Christmas, I think quite disillusioned, and we have every encouragement to adopt the attitude, seeing is believing. 
Seeing is believing. And the remarkable thing is that if you hold that spirit, you don't have a whisper of the hope, of the chance, of ever finding Christmas as it ought to be. Because you see, it's just the other way around. Believing, believing is seeing. A number of you are married, perhaps with a little boy or little girl of your own, and you're now in the process of rediscovering through them the joys of Christmas past. Now, I want to emphasize that I have no quarrel with that little well-fed gentleman with the red suit and the white whiskers. He was very generous to me when I was a boy. And we're looking forward with great anticipation to his visit at our home next Monday night. The tree is there and the holly wreath and the stockings and the, along the fireplace mantel. It's a very long mantel. I know of... <laughs> I know of uh, few things in this life that are quite so celestial as the face of a little youngster happy, hopeful, and believing with Christmas almost here. All of those things with reference to Christmas are appropriate and good. And all of them are for children, except, I suppose, the mistletoe. Which <laughs> I... If you would understand what you get in exchange for giving up the childish illusion, as it were, concerning Christmas, you could look forward to the greatest of all discoveries. If you could just know that at your age, you could find and can have that little kid feeling again about Christmas. If you understand Christmas at all, you find that in exchange for Christmas past comes the most supernal of all gifts. And if you want to know a good beginning point, I suggest you start in the second chapter of Luke, beginning with verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, 
Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And it came to pass that after the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one unto another, Let us now go even into Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. Now the Christmas story in the first, second chapter of Luke takes, I suppose, a minute and a half to read. Might take a minute more to ponder on it. And yet how infrequently, how remarkably infrequently does that find its way into the family festivities at Christmas time. Now the Christmas story doesn't end there. That's only the beginning. And if we can accept as adults a new childhood status with reference to our God, then we will begin to humble ourselves and begin to believe and so begin to see. And in exchange for the fanciful poetry of the night before Christmas, comes the miracle that grows in every season. The whole account from Bethlehem to Calvary is the Christmas story and it takes simple, childlike, almost naive faith to know it. Now it's sophistication that makes Christmas bells ring discordant notes to some. Sophistication, and I suppose that there are few more in danger of sophistication than the college professor with his much learning. And if there would be one more in danger of sophistication than the college professor, it would be the college student with his little learning. And so it is sophistication that makes the bells ring discordant notes. And it's humility that causes others to become as children and therefore capable of believing and ultimately capable of seeing. Now there is uh, the spirit that envelops the earth and at Christmas time we can become changed. This change is obvious in some and in reference to Scrooge, Dickens commented in about the last few paragraphs of the, the story, referring to the great change and the, the, the difference in his attitude and in his conduct, he says, and I quote, Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, 
but he let them laugh and little heeded them, for he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe for good at which some people did not have to have their fill of laughter at the outset. And knowing that such as these would be blind anyway, he thought it quite as well that they should wrinkle up their eyes in grins as to have the malady in a less attractive form. His own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him. This uh, story, this fanciful, beautiful story of the well-fed man and the red suit and the whiskers isn't much to relinquish when you realize that for the fancy of that illusion comes the fact of the real Christmas story that contemplates some things that I might suggest go even in excess of reindeer that can fly because this is the actual account of the opening of the eyes of the blind. And when he was come near, he asked them, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith has saved thee. And immediately he received his sight. And it's the story of the cleansing of the leper. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will. Be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken... Immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And then the walking on the water. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And the stilling of the tempest, and he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. And the raising of the dead... And then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. I knew that thou, that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, Come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto him, Loose him and let him go. 
And there was the blind man uh, of Bethsaida, and the Syrophoenician woman and the centurion servant. There was the blind and dumb demoniac. There was Peter's mother-in-law, the one with palsy and the one with the withered hand. There was the lunatic child, the ten lepers. There was the miraculous draught of fishes. The multitudes were fed, and there were others raised from the dead, the widow's son, Nain, and Jairus' daughter. And I suggest to you who are the in-betweens at Christmas time that that's a mighty meager price to pay, giving up the fanciful poetry of the night before Christmas for the factual account of the actual Christmas story. And you need never fear in this life or the next to ever be disillusioned on what is really Christmas. And in the words of Alma, speaking with reference to believing, but behold, if ye will awake and arouse your faculties, even to an experiment upon my words, and exercise a particle of faith, yea, even if you can do more, no more, than desire to believe, let this desire work in you, even until ye believe in a manner that ye can give place for a portion of my words. That little kid feeling with reference to Christmas is available to all. But it's been that way all these years that there's been no room for him in the inn. He has said, For behold, I stand without the door and knock, and he that heareth my voice and will open the door I will come in and sup with him and he with me. And of all times of the year, Latter-day Saints at Christmas time ought to be the most joyful, ought to have greater cause for festivity than anyone, ought to enjoy the Christmas tree and the holly wreath and the stockings and the mistletoe and all that goes with Christmas more than any else in the world because they know what Christmas really is. I bear witness that the Lord Jesus Christ lives. I know that he lives, that he was born a babe in Bethlehem, that he grew and fulfilled his ministry, that he was crucified on the cross, and that he was resurrected, and that he lives now, directing personally the operations of his church upon the earth and manifesting himself personally to his servants that belief might be swallowed up in knowledge that his work might go forth and I bear this witness in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.